Welcome to the RDH Magazine Podcast, an Endeavor Business Media production. This show represents the voice of today's RDH. Like mine. And mine. Like mine. And mine. And mine. And yours. Join us each Tuesday and Thursday as we explore trending topics and go behind the scenes and into the minds of our amazing writers and friends. And now, here's the latest episode with Jackie Sanders. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Jackie Sanders, Chief Editor of RDH Magazine, and today I am talking with Candace Swarthout about trauma-informed care. Hello, Candace. Hi, Jackie. I'm well. Thank you. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. We're back again. So last week, we released part one on trauma-informed care, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about how to implement it. So I am just going to let you take it from here and uh, share your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Sure, thank you. So last week, I talked a little bit about what is trauma-informed care, so I just want to repeat that just for anyone that maybe is just catching this one. Trauma-informed care is a practice that's really being implemented a lot into healthcare in general. And that is when I, as a clinician that wants to practice as a trauma-informed care practitioner, I use this broad lens for every patient that walks in my office. And what that broad lens looks like is that I'm going to make this assumption that every single person that comes in has experienced some form of trauma. And I'm going to realize as that clinician that trauma is something that's widespread, that a lot of people, you even said this last week, that a lot of people have had trauma and we don't even realize it. And then I'm going to respond to that by making a few adjustments in maybe the way I carry out my appointment so that I can avoid a person being re-traumatized. And again, if you listen, if you didn't listen last week, I recommend that you go back and just take a listen to that to help set up the <laughs> foundation of this. Because we talked about neurobiology and, and why somebody might get triggered and how that what that looks like. And so as I go through the appointment, I want to try to avoid any kind of re-traumatization, meaning that something happens in the dental chair, that patient gets triggered because they have this trauma living in the amygdala part of their brain, and it puts them into a PTSD flashback. So with that said, there are several tenets of trauma-informed care. And the first one, Jackie, is safety. And so safety it has to start in the waiting room. And I know that a lot of us are good at this, but there's a lot, I'm going to say in medicine, not great. I'm finding it in my own personal experiences of when we walk out into the waiting room of making sure that we connect with the patient there, that we walk out, we say their name and we introduce ourselves and tell them what our role is in their appointment today. I think that's so, so important. Hi, my name's Candace. I'm going to be your dental hygienist today instead of just calling their name and letting them follow us. Because if someone is in that place of potentially being re-traumatized or they're nervous, they have that dental fear, they're just following a stranger into the room and not knowing what's next, right? right? And so take just that moment, you know? And then privacy, give that patient privacy, make sure that we're not speaking too loudly where others can hear that we're you know, using our protective screens and things like that. And then we want to build trust with the patient. That's going to be one of our most important pieces is that we're so good at this hygienist too, aren't we? Like we got that, we can build rapport like nobody's business. I think we're probably the best in it. I mean, I'm biased, but we're pretty darn good at it in healthcare. One of the ways we can build trust with our patients is to tell them what we're going to do next and 
and be consistent and be trustworthy with them in that, you know, whatever I say I'm going to do is what I'm going to do. I carry out those actions that I give them body autonomy because think about how uh, trauma is mostly something that's done to the body. You think about sexual trauma, abuse. And so I don't want to just start touching my patient without asking their permission first. So that might even mean I'm going to take your blood pressure. Is it okay if I touch your arm to do that? Just get permission the first time and then you're good. You don't have to ask every time. And then we want to be really collaborative. That's one of the tenets of trauma-informed care is a collaboration with our patients. So learning to get in conversations with them, that we're not the lecturer, you know, we've, we've, uh, I talk about MI motivational interviewing. Sometimes we have that reputation, don't we? Like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to lecture me on flossing again? So finding ways to take ourselves out of that place of the expert or the lecturer and having collaborative conversations, motivational interviewing is a beautiful way to do that. So if someone, you know, hasn't dug into what that looks like, I recommend a class on, on motivational interviewing. And that's just the way we can talk to our patients that says, Hey, what are your goals? What do you want out of this? Instead of us having that exhausting feeling of here's all the things I've told you to do and you're still not doing them. So that helps with that traumatized person to feel like they're a part of, and that we're doing something with them instead of something for them. And then we want to do something called peer support. So peer support in in trauma-informed care can look different ways. For me as a therapist, I use peer support when I recognize that a patient or a client might benefit from going to group therapy. So let's say someone is, we're working on trauma and Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what, this person really might benefit from this trauma-based group. So then they go to that peer support group. For us as dental hygienists, here's how, this is my own interpretation of peer support for the dental hygienist is that, you know, we build those great relationships, right? You probably can think of your patients that you just love and they brought you (laughs) treats and all that stuff, you know? And what happens is that we get to hear their deepest, darkest secrets sometimes. You know, can you think of patients, you know, you've cried with them. They've they've told you the things. Quite a few. few. And that's so special that they, they allow us to hold that space for them. I don't think that happens a lot in healthcare either. I think that's one of our unique roles as dental hygienists. I think we have to really tread lightly on the mindset of being their counselor in those moments because a therapeutic conversation with their therapist is going to look different than us sitting with them and being supportive and loving on them and crying with them or or talking them through something. And so as a as a trauma-informed clinician, I like to have some resources on hand for them when that does happen. So when my patient tells me I'm thinking about leaving my husband or they had a, maybe there was a sexual assault or whatever might be going on with them, that I like to have just a few resources on hand. I like to know who my local rape crisis center is to be able to give them that information. I like to know what my local rape crisis center does so that that I know what they could provide for them. Um, I like to have a few counselors that are local that I can say, hey, there's a great counselor that, that does works on this kind of trauma that that maybe she does family violence or whatever it is, whatever that patient needs, that I can now walk them to the next phase of this and to the next step, which is having a therapeutic conversation with someone. So I think yeah. it's just like I said, we're just we're, we're just set up for this and it's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you just brought up a thought. It's, you know, trauma-informed care isn't always abuse. 
So you took me back to some of my favorite patients, and it can be the loss of a spouse mm-hmm. for your for your older patients. It can be a, a miscarriage for a female. Patient. Yes. Um, it can be a loss of a child. And there are so many other types of trauma that, you know, this is not all about abuse as much as it can just be sadness and heartbreak. As yes. Well. Yes, absolutely. It causes trauma in people. Yes. Thank you for making that point. Yes. And then, you know, like grief share of some, if you know, if you're local grief share, just, you know, knowing that stuff can be a really great, great resource for our patients. And then remembering as a trauma-informed care provider that there are people who have had systemic abuse because of their race, because of their culture, their, their gender, their sexuality. And so remembering to take those classes on diversity and taking the time to remember that that people might come from a different background than us. They might have, their family might look different, that they might have been abused. Like I said, had systemic abuse based on those things. And so that we're, we're sensitive and that we're culturally competent enough to be able to walk with our patients with that through those things as well. Yeah, accepting of all. <laughs> yes, yes. And so that's just yeah. kind of an outline of what it would look like. I know that's a very fast, like the crash course in what trauma-informed care would look like, but those are the, well, the things that we would do just to adjust a little bit for our patient. Yeah, yeah. Just go in with an open mind, being mm-hmm. respectful, moving slowly. If you can tell there is some apprehension. I am sure that our listeners have a lot of questions about this topic if they were to reach out to you, Candice, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? And they can email me. It's Candice, K-A-N-D-I-C-E at inspirededucationce.com. Very good. And uh, Candice does a lot of presentations. She does a lot of webinars. If you keep your ears and eyes open, I'm sure you'll see her at the podium somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I mean, number one, thank you for listening last week and thank you for listening again this week. But I am sure Candice and I are going to be spending some more time together because she has additional things to share with us that she's going to be doing some more training herself on this topic. So, uh, Candice, do you have any closing thoughts or remarks you would like to share with our listeners? I think just mostly that we, when we go into situations with patients, and sometimes they're jerks, right? Like sometimes the patient comes off as being rude and just remembering that we don't know why they're being that way. We don't know what happened to them. And so always changing our judgment into curiosity and then proceeding with empathy can change a relationship with a patient that we might not feel great about our interaction with them. But just take that moment to say, instead of, you know, what's wrong with this person, to stop and say, I wonder what happened to this person and soften ourselves so we can make space for them. that's That's a great closing thought. Uh, thank you to our listeners for spending this time with Candace and I. And Candace, thank you once again for making me just a little bit more smart. <laughs> oh, thank you for having thank me, you. Jackie. I appreciate you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of RDH Magazine Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this interview. Hit that subscribe button and join us next Thursday for another conversation with Jackie Sanders. Find us on social media, visit our website, and sign up for one of our amazing newsletters to keep up to date with your profession. Hygienists come for the education, but stay for the community. See you next time.